Hello, it is a genuine joy to be back and begin this new series of webinars week by week. And I want to jump right in and share a few verses from Psalm 27. It, it's a psalm that many people know, at least the first verses, but I want to get underneath the words to see what David's talking about here. He says, I quote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. That's, that's pretty serious. My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Those are tremendous words, especially when we're in the midst of a world and society that is terrified, dragged down by fear and anxiety. David is speaking there, as I hesitated there, that, that he, he said, they come to eat up my flesh. He speaks of them as if they were some sort of dragon that is coming to devour him. And, and then he speaks of them, though in the negative, but that they seek that he should stumble and fall. And then he goes on and said that his whole peoples are encamped against him. On and on it goes, this terrible negative pressure that is upon David, that, that everywhere he turns, he has enemies, he has situations that are nailing him to the board. But he begins with the words of triumph, and then all that that I've just said follows. He, he states his victory before he tells us what his victory is over. And he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And because that be true, he goes on to say, whom then shall I fear? And it's that phrase. Now, if, if we've been together for years, um, you've heard me talk about this before. But I, I want to give it to you fresh as this day in which I speak. The Lord is my the reason you will have heard me speak about this in years gone by is because it is one of those verses that has shaped my own life. This phrase brought me into such a dimension of rest and peace in God, explained so much even of the New Testament, that it would have to be one of those banner verses in my life. He says, when the darkness is pressuring him to the nth degree, when he is feeling his natural weakness and the expectancies of his own human flesh, in the midst of that darkness, he seems to go somewhere else and declares, the Lord is my light and my salvation, salvation there being in terms of his deliverance from all these persons that would oppress him. Now, if you read through the Psalms, you will find this phrase a number of times. And sometimes it's written slightly differently, but it's the same thing. Okay, uh, remember in Psalm number 3, he, he, again, he describes the enemies coming upon him. And in this case, the people were just simply watching and say, the old man's had it. He, he's getting too old for the job. And do you remember they said, Psalm number three, he quotes the people. They're saying there's no hope for his soul in God. He's had it. It's over. It's finished. This is too big for him. And he he shows in those first verses of Psalm number three a similar situation. He's in deep darkness, deep trouble. And as we know the history behind it, life did look as if it was over. But 
Then he says, in fact, he said, but, that, that is, yes, that's, a, that's reality, but. And then he says something like this. He says, you are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Um, you are the shield that is around about me. That is saying almost the same thing. The Lord is my, only this time he's saying, you are this, you are this, you are that. It's the same idea. Psalm 23, I'm sure you know it, uh, but it begins in exactly the same way. The Lord is my. And if you go to Psalm 18, you will find a list of them. The Lord is his strength, the Lord is his sword and his shield, and so on and so on. And this unquestionably would be the way in which David understood his relationship with God. I believe that there is something that we can learn here that will be nothing less than a transformation of our life. You see, this is... You just sit back sort of and let it wash over you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's, there's a great joy there. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no shame. It's, a, it's an explosion of delight. It's, it's a joy that is rejoicing. And it's, it's bold in the face of what is happening. It is also one of the greatest declarations in the Bible of union with God. I mean, just think about it. The Lord is my. So the Lord is my. And the Lord and my are joined together in that word is. That's union. That is saying I I can't put a piece of paper between me and him. The Lord is my. And so when I speak of my, I speak of the Lord. And when I speak of the Lord, I speak of my. It is union. It is the subject of the entire Bible. And it is speaking then in terms of intimacy. You cannot have a union so close without knowing the intimacy with God. It's the union of no separation of face-to-face intimacy, of knowing him. Okay, then what is this really about? The Lord is my, and as we've seen all the possibilities, you could say fill in the blank. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, the Lord is my glory, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is the lifter of my head, my strength, and so on. Fill in the blank. What, what is David really saying here? Let's start with the beginning, the Lord. Now, again, I'm sure you've heard me say before that this is um, the word the Jewish people used, so they wouldn't have to say the name of God. They held it with such awe that they were afraid to say or write it. And so, the Lord took the place of that in their writing. But actually, what we should understand here, where it says the Lord, it's a reference back to Exodus, where Moses said to God, what is your name? Who are you? And the Lord said, and in the Hebrew language, as near as we can get, it is Yahweh. And that means, as it says in Exodus, I am that I am. That is the deepest revelation of the heart of God, Yahweh. I am. I am. The very being, the amness of God himself. I am. I am the fullness of life. I am the fullness of the full spectrum of love. He is. You see, I am. It's, it's not a was thing. I once used to be. It's, it's not a will be one of these days when certain things happen. God is saying, I am. 
that is the, can I say, ever now present tense God. I am. And that's how he talks. And sometimes this language from the God side is confusing to us because we live on a timeline that moves very quickly. And so we can hardly get a hold of now and is. It's a very fleeting word that we pass through so quickly. And even as we're saying it, it has become something past. And also future, we're rushing toward the future. And so much of our thoughts are either future or past. It's it's hard to hear God talk sometimes because he doesn't talk so much in past and future, but in this is, the I am, is I am. And when we say I am, well, then you're talking about his isness, that all that God is, he is. He, it's his I am. And the I am of God then means he cannot change. If he is who he is, the I am, then he's unchanging, which means that he's utterly dependable. The, the God you meet in the Old Testament in, in his covenant promises and actions of love is the God we meet today. The, the, the God we meet in Jesus is ever the same. Dependability, which again is very difficult for us humans to grasp with our natural mind because everything changes and everything's either getting better or getting worse. And we live in, in a creation that, that is, in a sense, collapsing. Um, and yet here we come to the one that is utterly dependable, utterly faithful to every word and period and comma that he's ever said. He cannot alter his words, for he, the I am speaks. And that's why the image in Old Testament is often that God is a rock, immovable. That's who he is. And so the God who is all that he is, the God who is love and cannot change and will never be any other than he is, said David, this Yahweh, the I am, is. Now, I've been dancing around that word for the last 15 minutes, I suppose, and, and um, now, now it's time, what is is, which um, is a strange, I, I suppose, question in itself, but you've got to understand this. I, I mean it. If we can grasp this, it, it's the key to understanding so much of Scripture, is, the Lord is. If a thing is, I mean, the, the, this book of Psalms that I'm holding here, it is, it is, you say, because is immediately speaks of real. It's, it's absolute reality. It is. It is that which is substance. It is. Only in this case, the God we speak of is the unseen but he's bigger is than that which you can see. Does that make sense? The, the God that this book of Psalms speaks of is more real than the book. He, he, he's the final is. He is what real is all about. In fact, sometimes we translate the word real as true. God is true. He is, in fact, truth. That's who he is. And so it means that when I come to him, all things like wishing, I wish this was, I, I wish that could happen. Now, those are words that belong to humans. God doesn't go there. He doesn't wish anything. He is, and that which he is, he is and will do and be. He is so. He is so. 
God never says, well, I'll, I'll try and do that when you get or when you do. No, we come to the solid substance, though unseen, the substance of the God who is. And David is saying, the Lord who is, you see, there's no doubt about this. He is, and he is now my true self. So these negative pressures, the negative thoughts that rush through my head, all of them with doom and horrible endings to this situation, all of those negative thoughts and feelings are cancelled out by this one who is utterly positive, true. The is God. For you see, these situations I find myself in, they pass, they, they come and they go. They, they have within them the, the brokenness of the darkness. And yet here is the one, the final is, the final am, who swallows up all of am-nots and is-nots, and he just is. He is who he is. David is snuggling down into that. Does that make sense to you? God, God is. He is. I'm feeling it while I'm talking. He is. So David doesn't deal with the situation. Now this is, I'm talking about each one of us now, you see, God, God doesn't want us to take on the situation. Oh, we, we do. We, we try to take on the situation. We try to fight it and tear it apart and wish it away. But David doesn't. Don't debate the situation. The more you debate the situation, the bigger and more powerful it becomes. Nor does David try to strengthen himself he doesn't say, get a grip, David. You can do this. You can do this. Just hang on. Try your best. Do your best. You can do it. When temptation comes, you don't see this kind of mentality saying, I won't do it. I won't do it. I promise you, God. I promise myself I won't do it. No, that, that, that doesn't belong here in this Christian life that we're living. There's no, no trying to make myself strong enough to handle the situation. And of course, he doesn't recite promises to God, mustering his willpower to fulfill some alleged formula that will either improve himself to be good enough or make God move to do something, get some strength from God. Do, do you, you see where I'm going here, don't you? That when, when we face the darkness of this world, which produces the anxieties and the worries, and when we face those areas of life which would, would seek to suck us down, it's amazing the things that go through our head, you know, what I've just recited here. And much of it is we appeal to ourselves, we appeal to our flesh and say, you can do it, you see. And you, you got to try and then out of the the terrible religious anxiety of trying to do that then we say help me oh god and then spiral down into further trying and calling upon the words of someone who said if you do this you'll get that and if you you know fast and pray and read your bible and all that sort of stuff that then god will be so impressed that he will come through and help you that's a load of boulder dust, you see. That, that doesn't, no, no. David doesn't do any of that here. He's facing these utterly impossible situations of darkness and responds with, the Lord is my. Nor is there any wine here. I mean, the, the chap is obviously feeling his natural weakness when he recites how they're coming to eat up his flesh and so on. But he doesn't start whining to God, I'm so unworthy, you've got to have mercy on me. And No, he just straight up into the face of God and says, the Lord is my. Think about that. 
nor is there any ambivalency. He doesn't come and say, well, if it be your will, will you deliver me, you know, uh, because I, I really don't know. You might be sending this to me as a test, and it might be your will that I get hurt. And No, there's no ambivalency. There's no question, you see. The Lord is, and that is, is that the Lord is my my deliverance, my light and understanding and wisdom in this situation. There's no shame at all that he's even in this situation. Is. Is my. Wrapped up in those two words. It's the doorway to, to faith, to hope, to joy. As I've said a moment ago, is my. The Lord is my. So that all the Lord is, is my. There's come such a union that he is actually being seen and known and expressed in me. And yet he's he and I's me. And yet we are, that's that's union, you see. It's no separation. But I, I want you to hear it and feel it. Because when we speak of union, that's the last thing on the mind of many believers. Union, the is now God, is in this micro moment my life. So all that he is is expressed in Malcolmness. The I am is my I am. <laughs> you ever thought of that? When I say I am, I am stepping into the very name of God. And therefore I do not and dare not say I am some negative thing, but realize the I am is in my little I am. And therefore he is seen in my amness. But if I'm receiving it from him, that means that to say this is to be in total dependency. I'm scary for some people. It's a carefree trust. No wonder Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you'll not even see the kingdom of God. No, we're, we're so adult that we want to be in control of everything. Whereas there's, there's no mention of David's control here. He has abandoned himself with carefree trust. It's the Lord who is my light and my salvation. And he speaks it with bold hope. Another word for hope should be expectancy. Okay, let me put it this way. This is not knowing about a God who is uh, light and who is salvation. It's not knowing about him. You know, the, so, so this is not going to my brain with a bunch of religious facts that are probably true. But this is knowing him. You know the difference between knowing about and knowing him. Knowing him because you're actually one with him knowing him because you actually experience him. You're not learning about his strength, his light, his salvation. You're not learning about it to get some grade. You are actually experiencing, imbibing, united with his strength, his light, his life, his salvation. And of course, this is eternal life, which has been actually stolen away from us by a grossest misunderstanding of the word eternal. Eternal life, people just think he's going to live forever and probably won't start the real thing till after you've died. E eternal means the, the life of the ages, the life of God. And, and, and I have received that. He is my life. You could say that. He is. But it says this is eternal life, that they might know that's it. Know thee. Not know about him, but know thee, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. That's John 17, 3. So he's in the midst of the darkness and he says, the Lord is my. 
So he, he's going to tell us what's going on. He's going to expound a little bit on the darkness, but in actual fact, he's not even bothering with it. He, he, he has all eyes upon the God who is, well, everything I need him to be. He is that, and he is it, because he's never been any other, and he never will be any other, and he is unchangeably trustworthy, faithful. I, I deliberately recognize him which means I turn away from the situation. I don't start debating it and wondering where it's going and what will happen. It's of no more interest to me. I am placing my eyes, my hope, my whole situation directly to God. And in so doing, I am fighting the situation in a way that transcends all other kinds of warfare. This is a transforming factor simply to turn and look upon the heart of God who is and is for us. You see, David, although he wrote this psalm a thousand years before Jesus came, yet David uniquely points forward to Jesus and whatever David says in the psalms comes to greatest reality in Jesus. You see, the plan before creation, before there was time and space, the purpose behind creation, the purpose behind your existence was that you should be the image, made in the image of God, You would be a container of God. Therefore, to see you would be to see God in the rays of his beauty. That's what we were created for, a relationship, a union with God. We we are custom made for that. And sin is not the breaking of a few silly rules. It is the breaking of that relationship and a falling away from that purpose. And Jesus is, Jesus is God. Jesus is, in fact, the Yahweh. He is the I Am. He said it over and over again. He is the I Am who actually now achieves this. He becomes one with human. And Jesus is God in our flesh. He is God fully experiencing human The Creator has entered into one of His own creature. And yet He never ceases to be God, though He is fully man. And God and man live the life of Jesus. To look at Jesus and to hear Him is to look and hear upon the very face and voice of God. And that one, And if he's the creator, then he is worth the entire creation and can speak for the entire creation. That makes sense, doesn't it? This one then, in his own humanity, stood as our representative, the representative of all creature humans, in fact, of the whole creation. And he carried it in his own person to death. The death of Jesus was the bringing to death of a broken, fallen, forever broken in darkness creation. And he took it to death. And when he rose from the dead, he brought in himself a new you, a new creation, the Bible calls it. You were crucified with him, you were buried with him, you rose with him. And you see, when I believe upon him, I have entered into the way. I've stepped into the path. I've stepped into the person who carries me into the very heart of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That, that's fact. That's the ultimate is. That's the is, and it's the is concerning you. When Jesus rose from the dead, a great is went through all creation. 
that you were joined to Jesus and that he carried you in himself to the heart of God. And there he is and there you is in his ears. So when I would say the Lord is my, that's not presumption. That's not stepping over some line and entering into a sort of heresy. No, he started this, if I can speak as, as, as such a way. God started God, he, he refused to be God without us. It's not only the purpose before time, but if you go through the Old Testament, he never speaks of himself without us. Everything we know about him is in his relationship to us. And he keeps speaking that he will be our God. We shall be his people. That he will walk in us. Yeah, that's always been his plan. That's his purpose. And he did it in Jesus. So it's not presumption for me to sit here and share with you that the very meaning of life is that he should actually is, be, in this micro moment, your very personal life. You see, he, God gave us Jesus, God inside our flesh, and gave to us the Holy Spirit who would bring that reality of God inside our flesh into our flesh. Or you could put it this way. He says, when he looks at you, he says, you are mine. And our response is, the Lord is my. This is Christianity 101. So, we, who have everything David had in terms of relationship to God only now on steroids because what David had only pointed to what we have. For we have this union with Jesus, God in our flesh, through God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so we do as David did. But I say, in the full blaze of light of the truth, we boldly... What's David doing? In the face of all the darkness around him, the Lord is my... David is placing himself... Yes, hear me very... I use those words very carefully. David is... David is in the midst of the darkness, but David says, hold it a moment. I place myself where I truly, really am. The Lord is my... He placed himself into the is of the Lord is my. And he said, this is my true self. This is my true life. This is my true circumstance right at this micro moment. This is what's really going on. The circumstances don't define it. My behavior doesn't define it right now. It's defined by he is my. That's the definition of my life. And of course, in the New Testament, this is said over and over again, only as I say now, taken to its fullest extent. Uh, The verse, I'm sure you know, Galatians 2.20, says, Paul says, I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ who is our life. I could keep going. Jesus gave us that incredible um, statement when he says, I am, well, there it is. Jesus used the name of God. I am the vine. You are the branches. Now, that upsets my legalistic head. You see, because he's supposed, yes, he could say I am the vine, but he should have given us the list of things to do so that we can get into the vine and become branches. Do Do you understand? He doesn't. He, he starts with the 
This is it. This is the is. And I, I'd, I'd love to get through this camera and put my hands on you and say, I'm talking to you. He is saying, he is the vine. You are the branches. How did you get there? How did you become a branch that takes its life, its sucker, its very ability to produce grapes? It takes it out of the vine. It's sucking the very life of the vine and living by that life and producing the leaves and the buds and the fruit by that. How did you get there? It says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, put you there. It is so. Oh, I know, you're supposed to find out how you get there. I tell you, God the Holy Spirit put you there. That was the will of the Father. That was the work of Jesus the Son. You is. He, I am the vine. You are, as surely as Jesus is the vine, so surely you are the branches. The Lord is. The Lord is. What about the other one? It's not an illustration. It's a statement of fact. He says that Christ is the head. We are the body. And if you missed it, the next verse says, so is Christ. Christ is the head and you the body. Now come along. You're the body? Well, there's no gap between my body and my head. There's, there's no fill in the blanks that if, I, if the cells of my body do this and do this and do this, then they will. No. They are. The head and the body live in this isness of no separation. And if I dare say this, uh, the head and the body came into being at the same time. At least uh, I did. Um, my head and my body came all uh, fixed up together. And, and Jesus is the head of the body as he rises from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. You came into being at the same time. It is so. It is so. And legalism and religiosity has spent centuries trying to tell you it isn't so. You've got to work at it to get there. No, everything that you do and all that you become happens after you realize that it is so. It is so. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, says Paul. And that word strengthen, even in the amplified version of the Bible, says who, who absolutely, he, what's the word? Uh, he, he infuses me with his strength so that for me to live is Christ. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's the same thing as saying the Lord is my love. I, I, I don't cook up something that looks something like God's love. No, God himself, through Jesus the Holy Spirit, produces in me, in my mortality, Christ my divine love, Christ my joy. Jesus said, my joy I give to you, not some old happiness that looks something like it, not a slap on the back to say cheer up. No, this is the joy of God, the joy that pulsates through the Holy Trinity, the same as my peace I give to you, he said, peace that passes human comprehension, his goodness his gentleness, his kindness. Yeah. In John chapter 16, it says that he, the Holy Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, actually communicate their life into us. He says the Father and the Son, through the Spirit, will come and abide within us. See, that's what it is my. The Lord, God himself, Yahweh, the I Am, will take up residence within us. The, so, so the whole Christian life could well be described as the great exchange. That, that he took all of my weakness, my brokenness, 
my deviant path, and he carried it in his own body into death, never to rise. When he rose from the dead, he left that behind. And he has made me join to himself the new creation. Yes, you heard me right. I am saying that Christianity is not some pathetic attempt to be like Jesus. It's, it's not sitting, in, having a religious headache, trying to figure out what would Jesus do. No, the good news is the good news of is. The Lord is my. That we've been joined. I'm not trying to be like him. He is dwelling within. That's it. He is our life. And so everything that follows, you see, my life that follows, my decisions, my actions, they flow from there. They are not me trying to discover something about God. It is that having known joining with God through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, now a whole new life opens up for it's not just little old me trying to make some religious attempts. It is union with him, and for me to live then is Christ. And it is so. It is now. Boy, they're dynamic words, aren't they? I, I know, I've been where you're sitting, actually, on this one, that surely there's got to be, I, I, I've got to do something, I've got to become something. No, this is good news. It's the announcement that it is done. It is finished. That's why David doesn't beg for this. He doesn't beat himself and say, if it be your will. No, he doesn't beg. He asks. But the asking is within the union, you see. He's not a beggar saying, give me a dime. He, he's so close that when he asks, then it's the asking out of no separation. And it, his asking becomes, the Lord is my. <sighs> and, I, and I say it again, um, he moves for, from the situation he's in, which remains, incidentally, the situation remains, but he is essential within self, has moved. And now he is living in the realization, shall I say, He's realized, he's posited himself in a new place inside of God, which is where he actually and really is. And he speaks of himself and Yahweh as one, even as in the New Testament consistently, we and Jesus are spoken of as one. And I say again, not that we become him and he doesn't become us. He is he and I is me, yet we are one in this love of God. So, or put it like this. David is not walking around an external God. You, you know what I mean by that? You know, it's, it's saying something about a God over there. And so, uh, it, it's, it's like, you know, studying a butterfly in flight. Uh, and you can see it, and you study it, and but you know, David is not studying God. You know, when when one goes to a Bible school or theological seminary, and I want to say it kindly, but you gather facts. They're, they're true, true most of the time, not all the time, but true. But you're gathering facts about God, and that's why they give you tests at the end and exams, as if you can. You talk about this God that's external to you, the over there God. Um, whereas the New Testament knows nothing about nothing about that. The New Testament only speaks of entering into Him and experiencing Him in this moment, in the midst of where I happen to be living. Okay, let's, let's say this. Here's a shaft of sunlight that pours through a window. And you can stand external to that shaft of sunlight. You're standing over here in the 
the shadows, and there is this shaft of sunlight coming through a space in the curtain. You can talk about it, discuss it. If you're of a scientific mind, you can discover many things about that shaft of sunlight. It's an entirely different thing to move into that sunlight and instead of looking at it, move in it. And as you move in, it experiences its warmth and its light. And to discover that sunlight as no scientist ever could. Do you get what I'm saying? When I've been down in parts of the, of the world where they've never seen snow, it's, it's a fascinating thing to um, try to explain snow, uh, what, what it feels like. And to see the frowns on their face, they still don't get it. Though you explain it, I think, so well, I've lived in it enough. And so um, you may listen to descriptions of snow. You, you could hear a weather forecast and hear of snow moving in here or there. or But it's an entirely different thing to simply say it's snowing. Here in San Antonio, you know, we get anything like snow, as you guys in the north know it, maybe once every 50 or more years. And we had it just the other week. And I mean, they even shut down the TV stations and carried the cameras out onto the roof so they could see the stuff flowing down. And, and they were standing, their tongues out, so they get on their tongues and say, it's snowing, it's snowing. Totally different to a lecture on snow, you see. Totally different to, to anybody's description of snow. Totally different to the weather forecast. Do you get what I'm saying? That, that you, you can go through your life knowing about God, hearing things about Him. But what David is talking about, he's not, he's not simply saying, you know, God's good. He's saying the Lord is my goodness. I'm experiencing him and his goodness is in me and flowing out through me. Totally different. Yes, that's New Testament calls that life in the spirit. That is not life in the brain. It's not life in the intellect. It's not gathering facts. It is God, the Holy Spirit, communicating you with the Father through Jesus so that you have come inside the Holy Trinity. I mean, just one more. Uh, you see, a, w a woman uh, walks into a room and, and persons can admire her beauty and talk uh, behind their hands about her ability and what a marvelous person she is until one chap chirps up and says, yes, yeah, she is my wife. Oh, what? Hey, what a difference. You can have all the opinions in the world. You can repeat all the hearsay you want. But that little phrase, she is my, you go, she is my wife. And he speaks of a relationship that goes into another universe as far as what this person is like. So David is not merely thinking about God, not learning about God, not studying, not memorizing. See, one can do all of that, and when the darkness comes, you don't know what to do. No, David is actually moving out of the darkness. He, he in his essential self, is moving out of the negative, not by trying to have positive thoughts about it or to say that God is like this, but by actually placing his soul, his inner core self, into another realm, the realm of the very person of this God who is love. As I said before, he posits himself into another place. It's the place of the is now. The God who is, all that he ever is, and all that he ever is will be now. And now in me. This is an area that, um, well, I, I know many believers are terrified of. It's, it's 
that the imagination that has been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, and when I say that, I mean that is what God did in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. When, when we say that Jesus died and rose for us, he, he didn't just have a simple list of your sins that he carried to the cross. Oh, please. No, he took you and you in the totality of your person, which means, yes, the, the whole body, the cells of your body, the synapses of your brain. He took your thought life and he took your imagination, which is at the very center and core of your being made in the image of God. And so when it says elsewhere in Scripture, you lift up your soul to God, it, from, from the very core of my being and in my imagination, I posit myself where I truly am in the presence of God. You know, many, um, well, put it this way, in, in our service on a Sunday, I know we, in our communion service, we use the term straight out of the Scripture, lift up your hearts. And the people's response, we lift them up to the Lord. It's perfectly biblical. But it's talk, this, is what it, this is what it's talking about here. In the middle of that negative situation, David lifted up his soul, his core person. He lifted it up and said, this is who I am. I, I zero in upon the greatness and the beauty of God. That's who I am, for I am in him and he is in me. And therefore, this whole situation must be re-understood. My perceptions have got to be brought into alignment with that. that that's your imagination. <laughs> oh, it is. You see, um, it's no surprise to me that Satan has really worked in this area and, and has deceived, that's a weak word, he has absolutely bamboozled us to believe that in our imagination it's all a make-believe world, empty daydreaming of things that are not and never can be, things for little children to do. Um, I say it's no surprise Satan would do that because imagination was the doorway through which sin came into the world. Imagination is where Satan has his sandpit. I mean, <laughs> where, where does anger and revenge and bitterness, where, where do they flourish in the imagination? Where you hear all over again what someone did to you and what you would say to them and how you imagine their revenge? Of course. Yeah. Where, where's, what's anxiety in your imagination? You're seeing your situation and all your tomorrows without God. Jesus said that hating your, your brother is, in your imagination, murder already committed. It's where all pornography begins. I say it's no wonder Satan bamboozled us to think that it's a, a nothing thing. No imagination now, filled with the Holy Spirit, becomes the womb of our reality, where we see relationships that are unseen to the naked eye, the physical eye, where we play out our life in God before the rest of the world can see it. The imagination, sort of the theater of coming attractions, when, when all that I see myself to be in Christ actually becomes... Was that too much of a mouthful? Do you realize that in your imagination it is so real that, that your imagination produces the very chemicals and hormones as if it was happening in our physical world? You know that. When you, you have an imagination full of anxiety, you have all the results in your heart and blood pressure and everything else as if it was actually happening. Because it is actually happening. Your imagination is the place of the ears. And when I enter into the ears of my relationship with God and recognize the Lord is my, that the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, then that reverberates into my 
physical body. Yes, the chemicals of my physical body. Yes, and it begins to change my behaviors. It transforms my thought life. It transforms my speech. It's the way it is. See, right at this moment, we are all experts in lifting our soul. Either we lift them into the darkness and let them crash down into despair and hopelessness and anxiety and unspeakable others, or we lift them up to the Lord and our life is transformed. We're all doing that one way or another, and David was one who did it consistently, and the whole New Testament explains the Christian life like that. What does it say? Colossians 3. Set your mind on things above. That is where Christ is seated. That is set your imagination. For the word used there speaks of that part of you where you form in advance and see yourself as you is. Set your imagination on the ascended Christ. That is where he has taken you, for you are seated with him in heavenly places. And Christ, your life, set your imagination on it, says Colossians. What what happens after that? Well, your behaviors change. That's the rest of uh, chapter 3 of Colossians. Your your behavior changes because you see who you are. It is. It's final reality. This is who I am. Do you get it? Do you get it? This is who you are. You are this person, one with Christ, seated in Christ, who is in the Father. That's you. And you are drawing and knowing his strength in this moment. And therefore, he who infuses his strength within you, all things are possible. You see, when when I say this, I, I know that after I'm done, and you might think and talk about it, um, we we are, we really are. We're so used to thinking external about facts about God. Go to Bible study and just take notes about God. You could be taking them about how to be a plumber. I mean, it's it's just out there. But to realize that although those facts are true and there's a big place for it but more than a place actually I have to know the facts but I have to take those facts into reality let the Holy Spirit be them in my life but as I say to talk about knowing God beyond external facts sounds like a revolutionary terrifies terrifies yes i I really mean those words i have lectured along these lines in seminaries theological seminaries where the students have fled the the place the lecture hall because i suggested that it would be possible for us to actually experience in this moment the god that we're talking about at that point, every one of them had an appointment and left the room. We feel awkward. We, we, we so expected the flesh. We, we so believe if we did this and did that and did the other, we would arrive like some elite that we know of. We think all of Christianity is trying to improve our flesh, to be something like Jesus. When all of that that I've just said was carried to the cross and buried. This good news is that God, through Christ, in the Holy Spirit, has come within you. He has taken over the imagination area that we might ease into. And B, we might actually posit ourselves in the presence of Him who is our life. That we don't study the sunlight, we get inside of it and imbibe its warmth. Well, there it is. Time's up. Next week I want to start a a new series on what we commonly call the Beatitudes. I did it about 60 years ago, and I've learned a bit in the last 60 years, and so I want to um, do it again. 
and share with you all that I've learned over the last decades about those statements of Jesus concerning the life beyond all joy that we can define. And I'll be back same time next week and for many weeks to come. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you in this very day and this incoming week that you shall learn to dwell as the Spirit, your teacher, takes you into the is in which you live. So I bless you, and so it is. Amen.